Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Good morning, folks. It is great to be back here in Painesville. I flipped the switch, guys. So uh, I think we're good now. Hey. It's great to be back, you brave people here in Northeast Ohio, I tell you. Uh, in Germany, we live in northern Germany near the city of Hamburg, about two million people, and it's fur much further north than we are here in Ohio, but uh, I think last year we got less than an inch of snow. And uh, I like snow, uh, but it always seems to come on Sunday. And so, uh, but hey, you guys are the brave ones. Thank you for being here. I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Aaron, for opening the door. This church has blessed us, I don't know for how many years, this church has supported our work in Austria and now the last 19, 20 years in Germany, and we want to say thank you, because your support, it's a partnership, actually. You guys partner with us so that we can focus on helping revitalize churches in Germany now and hopefully in the next term in other countries of Europe because the need is there because I'll, as I'll share here briefly at the beginning, the need is great. What we have is uh, 70 to 80% of most of the free churches in Germany, in Europe, and that's like Pentecostal, Charismatic, Baptist, Methodist, Brethren, Evangelical, free churches, the whole gamut of Evangelical and Pentecostal churches, 70 to 80% of those are in stagnation or decline especially in Europe where we have a very much a secular culture. Secularism is a form of religion, and people don't have to be atheists, they don't have to be agnostics, but they just say, hey, God plays no role in my life, and I could care less if he's there or not. That's the basic mentality of most of the European people. And so how does a church become effective to fulfill her mission in the communities where she finds herself? That's a challenge when people just don't care. But the love of Christ is something that still breaks into dark areas, hurting people's hurting lives, hurting families, and we need to be a light there where we live, be it on the workplace, in our neighborhoods, and, what, and so on and so forth. And so the challenge there is churches over a period of time have become more inward focused because they're just not seeing the fruit, seeing the results, and so they focus on themselves. And that's not what Christ meant. He wants us to be among the people, loving people, sharing hope, sharing encouragement, sharing truth, and living a victorious life. And people will take notice. And we're starting to see this happen in Germany. Uh, just this past term, we have a training process where we help leaders from churches and the leadership teams in churches to uh, go through a process of of gaining new information and no, learning how to put it into practice so that they could be more effective in their communities. Just in the last four and a half years, we started 20 of these training processes throughout Germany. Uh, over 200 churches have taken part. Over 1,000 people participated. These are from pastors down to Sunday school teachers from these churches came in, got new information, new training, learning how to put it into practice, and already we're seeing more first-time visitors attend our churches. We're seeing more people get saved. We're seeing more people get baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, becoming followers of Christ, and then reaching in 
to their communities with the newfound faith and love of Jesus Christ. Friends, this is part of the partnership that we have with you, and we want to say thank you very much. And also, we're going to be heading back to Europe in beginning of September of this year, and we hope to take this process, which we started four and a half years ago, and we want to take it to other countries of Europe because the need is there. So we're going to expand. We're already in Austria and Switzerland, and we're going to be starting in Finland and also Lithuania this fall. So uh, please, we have a, uh, our prayer cards out on the table there. Please pick up a prayer card and can pray for us regularly, please. We need your prayers more than anything else because a lot of what we're doing has to do with spiritual strongholds and people just get blind to what's going on in the spiritual realm and that's where our battleground is. So we appreciate your prayers. Thank you also for your support. You guys have been very good to us. My wife sends her greetings. She's preaching in a church in, uh, in Independence, Ohio, uh, just south of Cleveland this morning, so she sends her greetings. Praise God. We're in the year 2020. 2020. What else is 2020 known for? Vision. Sight, eyesight. Perfect eyesight is said to be 2020, whatever that means. But uh, 2020. And as I was thinking about that just a few weeks ago, came to the realization that uh, we need to have clear vision as followers of Jesus Christ today more than ever before. Already we got back from Germany, what, the week before Christmas, and was bombarded with everything that's going on in the media today. Doesn't matter what TV news program you listen to, what side you fall on, I'm not gonna get into that, but there's just a lot of tension and polarization in our country today. And uh, it's so easy, even for us, I say, followers of Christ instead of Christians, it's so easy to get caught up in all this turmoil and all this noise. And it's so easy then to forget or lose sight of what God is wanting to do. Because God moves in different ways than we do as human beings. He works differently than the media. He works different than the politicians and so, and so forth. And the question here is, Lord, what are you trying to communicate to us today? What should our role be here in Ohio, here in the United States? What do you have planned for us? What are you wanting to do in us and through us so that your love will be seen no matter who the audience may be? Whether they're Democrat, whether they're Republican, whether they're young or old, it doesn't matter what race people are. Are they seeing the love of Jesus Christ in and through our lives? Because that's what changes things. I just read yesterday in the, in the letters that John wrote, the Apostle John, focusing. He was an old man when he wrote those letters. And he said, friends, I'm going to bring you back to the simple basics. Love each other. Because that's what's going to overcome the darkness and the hurt and the pain and the polarization in our communities. Focusing on our love and our role. And uh, there's a man in the Old Testament, who has been, his story is a good role model for me. His story is uh, something that uh, I've taken to heart for myself. He was not a pastor, he was not a priest, he was not a prophet, he was not a religious man per se, though he was a follower of God, he was a Jewish man. His name is Nehemiah, and Nehemiah, 
lived at a time when the children of Israel, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the story, but uh, for 70 years, the Israelites were in captivity in Babylon. 70 years. And then finally, the Persian army defeated the Babylonians, and, at the, and that was 538 B.C., and, and the king of Persia at that time said to the Jews, if you want, you could go back to your homeland, Israel and Jerusalem. Okay, so many went, but probably even more stayed because after 70 years, you kind of you build your homes, you build your family, you have your jobs, and they just stayed where they were, okay? And Nehemiah was one of these because this story that we're going to read this morning took place 90-some years after the first people got to go back to their homeland. And more than likely, Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem before. More than likely, he, uh, he had no idea exactly what the country looked like, but he did understand the history, he did understand the culture of his people, and he was passionate for his people. He loved his people. But it wasn't until he met some friends who had come back for a visit from Jerusalem, and he asked them, how are our people doing there? What's it look like? What's the situation? It wasn't until then where his eyes were opened to the reality and the condition of his people. And what I want to read for you this morning has to do with chapter 1 of Nehemiah. And the premise is, without being a good follower, it's going to be hard for our churches to be effective today with what God has in store for us. And as it says on the, the PowerPoint slide behind you, or at least the previous slide, this message this morning has to do with discovering your purpose. Why are you here personally? Why is this church here? And what is God wanting to do in and through you? Singular and plural, you. So I'm going to read the first chapter, only 11 verses, and it's a process describing how to be a good follower of Christ. The word came to Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. These are the words he penned. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and I asked them how Jerusalem looks, how Jerusalem's doing. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is still broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, he said, I sat down and I wept. For some days, some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and I said this, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ears be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, that we've committed against you, God. 
We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed your commands. We've done our own thing. He doesn't say that, but it's meant there, implied there. We've not obeyed your decrees and your laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizons, I will gather them from there and bring them home, bring them back to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Lord, they're your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant meaning himself, success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. For I was cupbearer to the king. He was going to be presenting his case before the king on that day. Maybe just a little review of what we just read here. We see from the beginning of the chapter a transformation takes place. We see in the beginning verses of this first chapter that Nehemiah is experiencing some heavy, heavy emotional pain. He's hurting for his people when he heard that bad news, emotional pain. But by the end of that first chapter, something happened during those four months. From the beginning of chapter one to the end of chapter one, about four months go by. He had been praying and fasting before God and God was doing a work in his heart So he moved from a painful situation into a purposeful situation where he started, he just started to discover what God was wanting to do in his life. He recognized the need and the need of the situation of Jerusalem just shook him to his core. They were in trouble. They were a disgrace among the nations and nearby countries. The walls of protection were gone. It says he wept and cried for days, fasted and prayed passionately to God in all humility, he was broken inside for his people. And although he was most likely a good guy, a righteous man, he identified himself with the sins of his people. He says, God, I'm guilty too. My father's family, we're all guilty because we just missed it. We went and just lived the way we wanted to. We didn't follow your commands because your commands are not there to keep us under your thumb. Your commands are there to give us inner freedom. And inner freedom expresses itself in outward freedom then as well. God, we just did our own thing and it cost us. It cost us our city, it cost us our nation, and we were in exile. And then he quoted Moses, what God told Moses. If you come back to me and keep my commands, then I will. You know, God's promises, God wants to bless us, God wants to work in our lives, but it's, in a sense, it is conditional. He says, if you obey me and follow me with your whole heart, then I will. Then you can tap into the promises that I have for you. But if you want to do your own thing, hey, do your own thing. But you're out from under my umbrella. So this is what Nehemiah was going through. And a promise of God stands ready for those who will walk humbly before him and follow him completely. 
Then he says there at the end, Lord, hear my prayer. Be merciful to us as long as our hearts are genuine before you. Nehemiah was recognizing after four months the beginning of his purpose for being. He had a good job. He worked in the palace. It's kind of like he was a head, the head of the kitchen staff. He wasn't a politician. He wasn't one who making laws or, or putting laws into practice. He was just a head of the kitchen staff. Decent job. Some people could say, hey, Nehemiah, why are you getting so stressed out? You know, somebody else could do that. You know, you got a good job. You have a nice home. Your wife is happy. You got two horses in the garage. You know, what more can a guy want? Okay? But, but he sensed something different was happening. You know, other Jews heard this same report about the condition of Jerusalem, and they probably thought, hey, man, tough luck. Man, too bad. I had an uncle who went back, you know, and too bad. We'll just keep them in mind. Okay. But Nehemiah realized God's doing, starting something new here. And if he wants me, if he wants to use me, though I'm just the head of the kitchen staff, then I'll, then I'll make myself available. And I want to share with you, folks, because God was preparing Nehemiah, I want to share with you four principles this morning. Four principles that will help us discover the process of discovering your purpose while you're here. And then I have a practical story that is going to go along with all four of these steps. First of all, the first point you see on the screen is information. All four of these words start with the letter I, so it's going to be easy, hopefully, to remember. Information. God starts this process of helping us discover our purpose with providing us with information. He informs us of a need around us, a need that is somehow directly in contact or in touch with our lives. He gives us a peek into his heart by touching our hearts, okay? He allows us to get a glimpse of what's important to him by stirring something in our heart saying, man, if that's important to God, it should be important to me. Nehemiah heard about the great need among his people in Jerusalem, and this information did something to him. It shook him. It touched him to his core, and it, he at least started praying. He was mourning the emotional pain that I already talked about. You know, God allows pain in our lives sometimes, and we ask, why, God? Why this pain? And I've come to the realiza realization, especially out of my own experience of going through many painful times, that God allows us to experience pain to help us to change. Because sometimes we'll just stay the way we are, thinking everything's okay, but without that pain, we're not going to stay, we're going to stay the same. And God is the only being in this universe that gets to stay the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But everything else, all of us, if we're not changing and progressing and growing, something's wrong. We're going to get stuck into a mindset that is not going to be part of the kingdom that God is wanting to build here and in and through us. But if we can change, if we can become more like Jesus, which is his plan for you and me, then there's a chance that our lives, our communities, our families, our relationships will be transformed. So don't think of woe is me when you're going through painful times. There's always a lesson to be learned. 
And there's always some good growth that could come out of that. Now, there's a church north of the city of Hamburg. It's about an hour away from us where we live. The pastor's name is Michael, and you could go to the next slide. It shows him. Michael, he's a couple years older than I am, so he's going to be retiring in about three, four years. But uh, he's pastoring a church that has maybe 150, 160 regular attenders, including children. And one might say, well, that's not too bad. And it's not too bad. For Germany, that's a large church. But Michael has been, as we were talking the end of 2016, he was saying how frustrated he is that things just aren't progressing. We've just been the same. We're in a stagnation mode, Steve. And he says, how do we get out of it? And I shared with him some of the training opportunities for revitalizing churches that we've been uh, developing. And if he, his church would like to take part in this and we could get some other churches from his region to take part. And he says, Steve, let's do it. And my church will host the whole thing. So we'll be the hosts. So they were wanting to get new information because they were, they were tired of not being effective as a church. And they knew they had to learn something. They had to learn something in order to go in a new direction. So he was not satisfied. That was one thing. And at the same time we started this process in 2017, this training process, just so happened we were in the midst of a huge influx of refugees, mostly from the Middle East. Uh, our town where we live, south of Hamburg, got a lot of Syrians, a lot of Arabs from Syria. Uh, in Michael's area, they got a lot of Iranians into refugee camps there. And so there were a lot of refugees in the city. There were some other needs that the city was uh, battling with, struggling with, and they just needed help from the citizenship there to, to help them, you know, tackle some of these new challenges that were, they were facing. And at the same time, some of these Iranian refugees started, for some reason, to attend Michael's church. And Michael started asking the question, God, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to show me? What are you trying to tell me? In essence, one could say Michael was being informed. God was bringing a need before him, an opportunity to touch people's lives, be they Germans, be they Iranians. He was being informed. God was bringing something to his attention. And I like to ask the churches where I visit, what is God trying to bring to your attention here where you live? What is God wanting to tip you off with and say, hey, friends, there's a need, be it a family, be it a broader situation in your city, in your community, on your workplace? God informs us and captures our attention sometimes through needs. But it goes further than that. That's point one, information. The second principle is identification. Identification, and this is probably the hardest and most crucial point for all of us. God wants us to identify with him and his heart for people. We know God's character, as I already said. God is a God of love. He loves all people, young and old, doesn't matter what race, what background, how well educated one is or not, what political party you belong to or not. God loves everybody. God wants to renew our hearts and purify our lives so that we can be in tune with him. But the thing is, that's only going to happen 
if we identify ourselves with him and what he sees as a priority. If we, and God will allow it, if we want to just walk through this life and continue doing things our own way, he'll let it happen. And we'll stay in our groove, and we might be happy for a while. But being part of the kingdom of God and what God is doing brings a whole lot more joy and excitement. It's challenging. The mission of Christ was not made to give the church a job, but the church was created to fulfill the mission and purpose that Jesus came to start. To love God, to love others, to take these giftings and abilities and this calling that God has placed on everybody, every one of you in this room, whether you believe or not, has a call of God on your life. He's not going to push it on you, but God has something special for each and every one of you. A place in his family, a place in his kingdom, something that only you can do. And he's given you giftings and talents to fulfill that. The question is, are you aware of what that calling is and that purpose is? Are you aware of those giftings? And how are you investing those in God's kingdom? Because if that's what is at the core of our being, what God has for us, that means happiness and joy will only be discovered when we get aligned with God in this plan. Sometimes I don't think we realize how far we have drifted sometimes from the mission of Christ and God's heart. So a turnaround is often needed. To stay as we are is not a good option. Growing, change is needed. Back to Neumünster, our church with Michael. He shared this information that he was sensing with his church leadership team. And uh, they practically, like Nehemiah, started repenting and asking God, God, forgive us that our focus has been so much on us. We're starting to see that there are needs in our community, and especially among these refugees that have come into our community, some of which, some of these people, Iranians, are starting to attend our church. God help us. We need to restructure our priorities. We need to start making God choices that we could make a difference in this community, especially among these refugees. So the question here is, after we've been informed, do we identify ourselves with what, who God is and what he's wanting to do? The choice is ours, and that's why it's probably the toughest point of these four that I'm going to share with you, to identify with God, to identify with what we want. This moves on. If we identify with God and what he is trying to do, then we can move on to the third point, and that is inspiration. God wants to inspire us again for his plan and his purpose. God has promised us through his word that if we would, that he would do what he would do for us if we will completely align ourselves with him. He provides new hope and excitement for the things that are important to him. And that happens, friends, when we seek him. Jeremiah wrote in chapter 29, verse 11 through 13, he says, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart. God is not out there to play spiritual hide and seek with us, okay? He's not trying to hide and keep his plans secret from us, but he wants to know if our hearts are totally with him in this process. And he will reveal himself but sometimes, friends, when we've lived for ourselves a long time, it takes some time till we get reach 
restructured in our own minds, setting our priorities and saying, God, I'm going to seek you daily. And I'm going to spend quality time with you. Not just praying for my own needs, but asking, Lord, what do you want to do? What's on your heart? And how can I take part? And aligning ourselves with him. And that takes some time, readjustment in our own lives, in our own structure. But as we do that, God will start to show us the possibilities and the open doors. And that inspires, that brings joy, that brings uh, 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 new invigoration, so to speak. The church in Neumünster, the church was now, after the leadership team and Pastor Michael prayed and repented, they got refocused, and now they started reaching out to the refugees and some of the German people that they had new contact with. They started, started spending more time with these people, and excitement grew because all of a sudden more and more of these people are starting to attend their church. Before, they were stagnant for a number of years, and now, all of a sudden, new people are coming in. New people. Things were happening. Are you desiring to see this happen amongst you folks also? I've already heard from some of you talking before the service. They're so happy to be part of this church. This church is obviously making an impact on much of the community, and you folks are having an impact in your areas. And we are thankful for that. We're thankful for that. And, but as we are moving along in this pattern, God is wanting to share more things with us. He's not going to load us up so that it's too much to bear or too much to carry, but he will give us that inspiration, that encouragement, that strength, that insight that we need to know how to respond in any situation. So keep moving on in this direction, friends. It's exciting. And this comes to my last point. After we've been informed and after we've chosen to identify ourselves with God and he starts inspiring us, the last point is investment. Investment. God's purpose, God's purposes in us help create a willingness in us to invest in his kingdom. God works on us so that we will want to invest our best in his purposes. And so what are we prepared to invest? Our time? our talents and abilities, our heart. I find in Germany where people tend to be a bit heady, okay, less emotional. Uh, to share one's heart with people really touches them because they're not used to behaving that way or not used to seeing that. They need to see more heart, and we're seeing that churches are starting to develop, develop a heart, even among Christians, that their hearts are getting softened because they just want to sense what the Spirit is saying and bless others with that, what the Holy Spirit is directing them to do. To our situation in Neumünster, as this church identified with God and got new inspiration, it's interesting what happened. That year of our schooling that they uh, went through in 2017. In 2017, they baptized a church of 150, 160, baptized 96 people. 80 of those were Iranian refugees. 16 were Germans, and I think that was the greater miracle. And, and, I, don't, and I don't mean to be facetious, but the, 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 the two cultures are very different from one another. And a refugee is not in their home. They, they're, they're dependent on outside help, and they tend to be a bit more open for a message. The Germans are kind of stuck and stayed in their culture because it's their own country. 
16 Germans got saved, and all 96 of these people went through a discipling process. 2018, a year later, on Good Friday, their first baptismal in 2018, they baptized 50 people. In June that year, 26 more. In August, 8 more. And in November of 2018, 24 more. 108 people got baptized and saved, saved and baptized in 2018. That's over 200 people. The church, the pastor was at his wit's end. He didn't know exactly what to do with them all. But interestingly enough, many of the people of his church stepped up and says, we want to get more involved. And he had, they have one guy who's focusing solely on these Iranian refugees. Now, many of these Iranian refugees were just there temporarily. And the government then has sent them on to other camps and other areas to resettle them within Germany. So we're believing and hoping that those people that were sent out that had gotten saved and baptized found churches to plug into. But they, that, so that they could be a new light where they were going to. But now this church is, has started a new Sunday, eve, Sunday afternoon service in English, translated into German. All kinds of international people come to it. Over 100 people come to that church service. Germans like it also because they get to learn more English. And it's, it's a great situation. So this church is running now every Sunday, 200, 220, 250. They're experiencing something because they were in God divinely informed them of a need, and they chose to identify with that need. It chose to say, God, you could count on me, just like Nehemiah. And that's the story of Nehemiah, friends. Some people think the story of Nehemiah is about rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. And that's not, that's not the case. The wall building was a means to an end. It says here, Whereas in verse, verse 8, beginning of verse 9 of chapter 1, as God spoke, but if you return to me. This process of wall building from chapter, beginning of chapter 2 through chapter 8, that's about two months went by. Only two, three months. And we see by chapter 8, the people of God are crying out saying, read us the word of God. We, got, we want to hear the word of God. And as they heard it, they were cut to their hearts and repented. And there's a verse that many of us know. And I didn't realize before I thought it was in the Psalms or in the Proverbs. But it says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's found in Nehemiah. Because the joy of God came back into the people's life, lives. And, and they started serving their God again. And friends, that was God's intention all along for this whole process to bring his people back to him, to be in fellowship with him. And it all started with a guy who headed up the kitchen staff. Nehemiah says, you can count on me, God. Use me. And through that man, many other people found and discovered their purpose. So do you know what your purpose is? Where, where are you at in this process? And as a church, do you know what you are called to do, what you are called to be? I'm going to pray with you and pray that this morning and maybe as you go home and read chapters 2 through 8 in Nehemiah, that the Lord will speak to your heart and give you new direction. Again, we thank you for standing with us and partnering with us in missions. Friends, that's part 
of your purpose. And you're doing a great job there, and we thank you. And the new stories that once we, once we get back and expand this ministry to other countries in Europe, we'll keep you informed about what's going on. But friends, we're, we're a team, and we thank you for it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these brothers and sisters and their faithfulness, but they're facing challenges too, Lord, and I pray that as they focus in, Lord, on you and take the time to commune with you more intently, that your spirit will speak to them and show them next steps where they need to respond to new possibilities and how they can identify with you. You will inspire them, and they, Lord, will in turn invest more for your kingdom because what we do on this earth, Lord, is the only for your kingdom is going to have eternal effect. And that's what we want to be involved in. So I pray that you bless them and use them continually. And we thank you, Lord, that you're with us in this journey. And that you lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, folks. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.